Francisco, we did um, just a couple of, of messages, in particular around family, uh, sexuality, in response to some of the stuff that's going on around LLF and the Church of England at the moment. But one of the things I said then was that actually one of the key things uh, we, we must talk about and we must see the value and the beauty in this singleness. Woo-hoo. And as somebody who gave that a word. Me! Huge it was me! <laughs> and, um, and, and actually, I, I'm not the best person to talk about it because, uh, because I'm not. So I'm delighted to have Becca to come speak to us. And Becca comes highly recommended from from Mike, and I think you were at the Lantern Church uh, a while ago, uh, where Mike now is. So um, delighted to have you. And let me just pray, and then I'll be quiet. Father, we just thank you for your word. We do thank you for your word, that you're the God who speaks to us, and that you speak through us. And Father, now would you speak through Becca? Holy Spirit, would you fill her and equip her for this message, and would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you, Seb. It's such a privilege to be with you today. I'm, um, I've just finished my curacy, so I've done six years training. And um, I, in West London, I've been at St. John's Hampton Wick, near Hampton Court, very fancy, fancy schmancy. Um, and I've just moved back to Barnet, because my dad's a vicar of Christchurch Barnet. Um, and so I've decided that um, I feel like God was calling me to have a sabbatical year for my seventh year. So six years training, seventh year. So it's a year to the Lord. I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like, but starting tomorrow, it's going to be a year off ministry. So we're just going to we're going to wait and see. Uh, I brought my little brother David along as well. So we're excited to be with you today. And as I've been praying for you, I'm going to talk quite a lot about different aspects of singleness today. But the word I felt God wanted to say specifically for you guys was actually these words, freedom and comfort, um, and, and hope and healing. I think there's a couple of those things have come up already. But I just had a sense that God was saying this is a really fun church. And God really loves being here because it's really fun. So thank you for being fun to the Holy Spirit. I think he's got you know lots of things that grieve him, but this is a fun place for the Lord. He just loves you so much, and it's a joy to be with you. We're going to have some fun this morning. And I just think so God wants to renew a kind of sense of identity and calling for each one of us today. Um, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether life looks crazy at the moment, whether we're employed, whether we're unemployed, he wants to bring joy because there's, a, there's always joy where the Spirit of the Lord is. And he wants to bring that freedom and that hope to each one of us today. So I'm just going to read um, a verse that we're going to anchor things in today. Just one verse. Matthew 13, verse 44. It says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So let's pray. Let me pray again. Jesus, you are that treasure of greatest price. We just bring you all that we are today, our questions, our sadnesses, our hopes, our joys, our fears, our dreams. And Jesus, we ask that as we give those to you, you would hand us your heavenly shovel to dig for all the treasure that you have for us right where we are right now, Jesus. Bless us, I pray, as we explore this together. Amen. Now, considering most of the UK prefer dogs to cats, apparently, I'm not sure why, we human beings tend to act a lot like cats ourselves. We can't resist a box. 
Now, let me just explain. Everywhere we go, it won't take much explanation. We are forced or kind of um, asked to get into different boxes. Just think about all the different forms that you've had to fill in all your life, all those different boxes. And you have to try and mark an X, don't you, on the one that fits your life most closely right now. Single, married, divorced, widowed, dating, engaged, employed, unemployed, kids, no kids, retired, or just really, really tired. You know, like, just something. But for the time we've got, none of these things describe ultimately our true core identity. We are first and foremost... Um, we described in relation to our father. We are sons and daughters. And then, next, in relation to one another, we are brothers and we are sisters. Now, I, I started pottery about a year and a half ago, so I thought I'd bring along something that I recently made. It's kind of a weird thing here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what you need to know is that this is something that started going wrong, and I was like, let's just work with it, okay? So it's fine. <laughs> a bit like us, I think, sometimes. God's like, let's just shape it. He's spoken to me a lot through pottery. But you're not going to find this anywhere else. It is completely unique. And I wanted to bring it because that is like each one of us. We have the mark of the potter on our lives. We are like a bespoke gift. No one like us has ever existed. The eight billion people that exist now, there's not one like you, and your father knows you and loves you you. You are a one-off. You are unboxable. You're one of a kind. You're like a bespoke gift to God, your creator. Your life is to be a gift to you as well, and to your brothers and sisters, your family, the church, and to the world. That said, those little boxes that we do have to kind of mark with an X that we were talking about earlier, well, I like to think that they're better seen as an X marks the spot, like on a treasure map. Remember treasure maps? Did anyone ever make one of those when they were a child and try and their friends had to go and find the treasure? Well, I like to think of those X marks the spot, so whether it's singleness or children or unemployed or whatever those X's are right now, as the place that God wants to dig for treasure with you in this season of your life. Okay? So as for me and my little boxes, I am single, I've never been married, I don't have any children, but I have six godchildren who I love to bits, and I will just talk about those children for hours, they're amazing. Um, I've been living on my own for three years, but as of a week ago, I've moved back into a busy vicarage, and so I'm starting a whole new box, a whole new X, where I'm currently digging for treasure with Jesus. <laughs> that might be hard with my family, you know, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, they're great. And that might be, my boxes, my exes, might be very different to your current reality right now. But as I share some of the deep treasures that Jesus has, and that we've dug up together in these last 10 years of specifically um, exploring the gift of singleness, I pray and I trust that God is also going to speak to your heart about the treasure that he has for you right now, right where you are. Do you know that in 32 years in church, I've only heard maybe three singleness sermons, and I gave all of those. <laughs> so, it's pretty weird, really, and let me explain why. Because the reality is that we all started out single. 
Many of us are single now. 40% of the UK adult population. A little bit less in church for various reasons, but one in three adults in British churches are currently single. Those in relationships could become single at any point. And because death do us part, we all end our lives single. And when we stand before Jesus, it will be as single individuals before a still single for now saviour. <laughs> so I'm hoping that this makes this talk relevant enough to all of us. All right? Now, if you like to just kind of chill out and go with the flow, then just ignore this next bit. But if you kind of like a bit of a plan where we're going, I'm going to share a bit of my story of singleness. And then I thought that we would do a rapid journey of um, the history of singleness from the creation of the world until Sunday, the 9th of July, 2023. How does that sound? Okay? And then we're just going to talk a little bit as well about singleness as a gift to us and a sign pointing to the world. All of that in till 12 o'clock. We got this, guys. We got this. All right. <laughs> 11 years ago, during my second year of university, I was Exeter University, one night, out of the blue, Jesus asked me this question. Becca, if you never got married, would I be enough for you? If you never got married, would I be enough for you? And the answer that evening was no. <laughs> No, Jesus, I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> good one, good one, yeah. You're not really going to ask that of me, are you? And no, like, what? But it was a question that followed me around for a year. Um, as I sort of started to maybe get a bit intrigued by it, and think about the implications, maybe count the cost, ponder the possibilities of what that might mean. Hmm. Until one day... I was left with just one answer as it kept on bugging me all year. And I, actually, I couldn't find my journal because it's still packed in one of my boxes, but I found in my journal on the 9th of August, so nearly a year later, um, was when I was finally ready to say, okay, Jesus, if I never get married, I trust that you will be enough. And so began my intentional journey with singleness. Now, I just want to clarify that I've never chosen to be single as such. I've never made a vow. I'm not a nun. Some people do think that that is the case when they see the dog collar or whatever. I don't know if I'm going to be single forever or not. That wasn't, that wasn't the question. That wasn't the thing. But what I sense that Jesus, what Jesus was asking is, are you going to choose me? Do you trust me? Will you choose to just choose me, to follow me every day, whatever that might mean? And that has meant 11 years of singleness. Now, saying yes to Jesus in the area of whatever it might mean in the area of relationships catapulted me into daily dependence upon Jesus in every area of my life. Dependence on him for friendship and companionship, community, people to do life with, things like holidays, days off, practical help. Now, especially these last three years living on my own, things like putting up curtain rails and all that kind of thing. Financial decisions, um, processing everyday life. I'm an external processor. I like to talk about things. And of course, love. You know, like everybody else, I have a love tank that needs filling. I'm a hugger. I'm very tactile. I love gifts. I love words of affirmation. I'm just putting it out there in case anybody likes it. Cat videos, which is a love language of its own. You know, just send away. If I was truly saying yes to the possibility of being single long-term, maybe even for life, I had to reimagine this kind of imagined future. 
the one I've assumed for 20 years or so, based mainly on Disney and the adults around me, who most of them were married young with biological children. I had to dream new dreams. I had to learn to sort of hold out my life each day before God for whatever it was that he wanted to, to do. Practically, it meant taking down my boyfriend radar. Okay, let me explain to you. Now, I would go into a youth group or, you know, a, I don't know, a soul survivor or something, and I would have my boyfriend radar up. Beep, beep, beep. You know, one of the tall guys, right? Six or one, I'm like, oh, there's one over there. He has his hands up in worship. I'm going to marry him. I love him. I love him. All right, no. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm going to take that down. No more husband hunting for me. And then having frank conversations with God and with friends about sex or lack thereof, that desire, accountability. It meant staring down the possibility of not having my own biological children, not having grandkids for my parents. And that really resurfaced again when I got to 30. Would, will Jesus still be enough for me? And so these past 10 years or so, I've been wrestling with God. I've been begging for his blessing. And in my own life, while beautiful weddings and baby showers and anniversaries filled my social media feeds, refusing to let go until Jesus showed me where my grass was green as well. And he's blessed me so much. You know, this past decade, God has proved himself to me as companion, as provider, as comforter, as best friend. He himself, I've had many, many, I've moved quite a lot of times. He is my home. He's where I'm free. He's where I can be my most weird self, <laughs> most brutally honest as well. He is my life's partner, and I lack nothing. I had so many adventures, and he's proven his faithfulness to me. And his word came alive to me on many a tearful day, as I read in Isaiah 54, Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Or when I received the truth that my God is the same one who declared, More are the children of the desolate woman... First things first, I said I don't care for that term. I don't want to be known as a desolate woman. But anyway, more of the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And I read the promise over my namesake, Rebecca, in Genesis 24. Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your, may, uh, your offspring possess the cities of our enemies. So I would pray, Jesus, may it be so for my children, my spiritual children, those I lead to you, my godchildren, um, any nieces and nephews I have, may they possess the cities of their enemies. And so I would mine the scriptures for stories of friendships as strong as the strongest marriage. We have Ruth covenanting her life to Naomi, Jonathan and David's brotherhood, uh, Paul and Barnabas' complementing partnership as they traveled the world talking about Jesus. Of course, Jesus' great love for his friends laid down his life for them. And I spent a lot of time with Paul, my dear friend, who always said it as he saw it and wished that everyone could be single just like him. And of course, I've read about my guaranteed wedding day, for which all the weddings in this life are just like a little dress rehearsal, really, when all of us will find ourselves dressed in white, ready to meet Jesus face to face. And you are invited because it will be your wedding day as well. End to aloneness forever. And so I wouldn't swap any of this 
for anything. Because the questions, the frustrations, the tears, the weirdness, the pain has led me to such sweet treasure. Remember that treasure we talked about over and over again as I stopped wandering off to other places and came back allowing God to, to dig with me under that X of singleness. And so I want to start by saying that singleness isn't second best. It's not a waste. It is an, an illness to heal or a demon to cast out or a problem to be solved by, solved by marriage. It is a precious and a powerful gift. It is a mystery, just like marriage is a mystery, it seems to me. And yes, at times a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of obedience, at times more costly than I could have ever imagined. But it's a sacrifice that I can give to God that those who are married cannot offer to God. Just as those who each day lay down your life for another in the covenant of marriage offer a costly gift that I can't give. One has this gift, one has another. 1 Corinthians 7 7. And so, very quickly, because there's lots we want to talk about, we are going to jump in a time machine now. All right? I hope that you're all feeling ready for this. Hope you've had your breakfast. We are going to head right back to the very beginning, a very good place to start. I've also brought a couple of books about singleness, and I'm going to leave them over here if you wanted to have a browse. I'd really encourage all of you, um, whatever your life looks like, whoever you are, to choose a book. The one I'd really recommend is Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury. It's brilliant, really easy, really fun to read, but I'm going to base this little next bit on Single Minded by Kate Wharton. Okay, creation. Five days in, how are you feeling? Well, you're probably not feeling anything because humans haven't been created yet, but it is time. The mah of creation, the pièce de résistance, the humans. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And it was so. God saw that all he'd made, um, he saw all that he'd made, and it was very good. Now that's Genesis 1. We have this zoomed out picture of the creation of the world. But I don't know if you've noticed that Genesis 2 actually rewinds a little bit and zooms in closer because before that very good, we actually have a not good. After Adam was created, God said this, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. A companion, an ally, a co-ruler, collaborator, someone to create things with. Now it's very important that we know that God doesn't say it's not good for a man to be single, I will create a wife suitable for him. <laughs> what he says is loneliness, aloneness, isolation isn't good for his creatures. And that is what God remedies by creating Eve and all the people that came after them. And yes, this is also where we find the first marriage where God brings Eve to Adam and they become husband and wife. And this is Genesis 2, which perfectly mirrors um, Revelation 21, which is the second from the end of the Bible. This is like bookending the Bible, where we have this image of the bride meeting Jesus and bride is the church. But the key is this. Right from the start, God created community. Married couples, single people, young, old, male, female, to work and worship and live together. All right, come on then, let's see what's next. 
So, throughout the whole Old Testament, Israelite society was built on these biological family units and clans. Marriage and children were basically where it was at, and there wasn't really any space for single people in that society. So being married, unmarried or childless, childless, basically meant that your name and your inheritance would stop with you. And there wouldn't be anybody that was specifically there to care for you in old age. You'd be on the mercy of the people. And to be childless as a woman particularly had a huge stigma. If a widow hadn't got, didn't have any children, she had to remarry pretty quick or she faced destitution. And time and time again, we read of women who are in deep distress and pain because of singleness and or because of barrenness. Sorry to use these words, but that's the words we've got. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Jephthah's daughter, and many others. But over and over again, we witness God's particular kindness for these women. Miraculous babies, provision for widows, and just staggering promises of blessing in childlessness. Sing, you who never bore a child, do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. And, you know, as I've been kind of researching this, I find it really interesting that throughout the Bible, singleness is often linked to the prophetic. So we have um, Miriam, Moses' sister, who was a singer-songwriter, and she's never called a wife or a mother, unlike, say, Deborah, who was this amazing leader, and we hear she was the wife of so-and-so, and then we go on to hear about her story. Miriam's this key leader in the Exodus, and she wasn't married. And we have Jeremiah's single prophet, and in him we find this rare instance of an actual call to singleness in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to me, you must not marry and have sons and daughters in this place. And he was a prophet of an exiled people, far from their land. And God gave him this calling of singleness as a sort of lived out facet of his prophetic calling, which is a really interesting thing for us as we think about living as exiled people, exiled from our true home heaven in this place. Each one of us has a prophetic calling on our life to be a sign in the world. And then we have Daniel as well. And I'm going to whiz through, but I just want to touch on um, quickly this, this um, amazing prof- prophetic leader, Daniel, because he was single, and the chances are that he was probably a eunuch. Now, eunuchs in Israelite society were celibate men, so they were unable to reproduce either since birth or because they had been intentionally castrated. And I always see men kind of go, ooh, when I say castrated, ooh. Defeated young royal males, when they were taken into captivity, they'd often be castrated so they wouldn't pose a threat to the royal family. Now, being a eunuch was seen as a really shameful thing, just like being a barren woman. But this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So just like to the women, to the men now, God promises to continue their name in a more enduring way even than if they had had these biological children. It's pretty radical stuff. Okay, we're going to jump in the TARDIS. We're going to zero AD. And it's here, into this Israelite society, centered around the biological family unit that we get Jesus. 
not through the sexual union of a man and a woman, but through the power of the Holy Spirit in union with Mary's faith-filled yes, Lord. And in him, we find the most human human who ever lived, fully alive, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, sexually, fully one with the Spirit of God, just as we are, and yet Jesus chose to stay single. I'm actually going to jump a little, and I just want to read a quote from this Seven Myths About Singleness. This is pretty, pretty powerful quote, I think. We need to remember, says this, we need to remember that Jesus made himself a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus willingly became fully human for us. He willingly became a male. He was a sexual human being as we all are, but he lived a celibate life. He never got married. He never entered a romantic relationship. He never had sex. Jesus was not calling others to a standard he was not willing to embrace himself. He wasn't calling singles to sexual abstinence while knowing nothing of it himself. He lived this very teaching, which shows us that none of these things, marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experience, is intrinsic to being a full human being. The moment we say otherwise, the moment we claim a life of celibacy to be dehumanizing, we are implying that Jesus himself was only subhuman. Pretty crazy. And so as a respected teacher and a prophet and an unmarried man, Jesus rewrote the script for singleness. Now to be single and to be married, because he elevated marriage to such a beautiful high place as well, they were both equal before him. All that mattered was following Jesus. Everything else came second. And then we get the early church. So for the early church, relationship status wasn't really that high on their profile. Single, married, both of them work, but when any day you could end up in prison or thrown to the lions, is it any wonder that they had any other priority than like organizing a Hindu? There's just so much to do sharing the good news about Jesus. They were so heaven-focused that uh, whatever was most of aid to sharing the good news of Jesus, that's what they did. Singleness, good. Marriage, good. Singleness, hard. Marriage, hard. All that really matters is staying faithful to Jesus. And as for kids, we're raising spiritual children now. Whether they happen to be your biological children as well, or whether they're ones that you birthed into Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's everyone's job to raise them. And whistle-stop tour from then to now, we've basically been doing a lot of this. Now, for the first, say, 1,500 years, sadly, rather than having this balance of singleness and marriage both being beautiful and important and crucial gifts, signs, prophetic witness signs we'll talk about in just a moment, to the world, it started to be that singleness was what everybody thought was more holy. So you'd have the monks, the nuns, the priests would sit at the front in church, and, you know, the riffraff, the married people, the kids, everybody else would be sat at the back. And those marriage vows were kind of like second-rate vows after the holy vows of celibacy. So we'd seen that perhaps there was a bit of suspicion around sex, quite a lot of fear around it, and it had swung all that way over towards singleness being seen as the kind of the better thing. 
But sadly, a lot of that was often just for show. There wasn't purity um, behind the scenes always going on. And then we had the Reformation. Now, nothing in scripture, so the reformers clearly, bans leaders from marriage. In fact, now we come to think of it, instead of being different from most of the community, perhaps the most efficient way of sharing the gospel is really that all the clergy should be married. And so instead of that beautiful balance, the pendulum swung all the way the other way, to where marriage is seen as a better, a purer, a more trustworthy state. Unless, of course, you're Catholic, and that's still <laughs> seen as better to be single. Which brings us to the present day today. So what's the church into in 2023? Well, through my eyes and the words of the single people, the single friends I've spoken to, the books we've read, and just various different surveys by a single-friendly church, the consensus seems to be that while single people generally feel welcome, the majority of churches, to a greater or lesser extent, implicitly or explicitly, seem to value marriage over singleness time and time again across every denomination. And so it seems to me that we've got some work to do on recovering the balance which is why it's such a privilege to be with you today. And hopefully this is just the start of conversation for you. Please do talk. So we've got just a couple of minutes left, but what I'd like you to do is maybe just turn to the people around you in the 30 seconds, just kind of, was there something that surprised you as we looked through that quick whistle-stop tour? There was obviously a lot more. Has something surprised you? Just initial thoughts, 30 seconds, and then we will finish off together. Go for it. on singleness and I've got so much content but today I just really felt it was important to talk about that Bible, Bible stuff so I know it was quite meaty but hopefully it gives you that foundation. We're not just talking from experience which is often what a society says, just whatever feels. I feel like I feel good in singleness so I need to make a theology around it. No, this is grounded in our inheritance of faith. This is our inheritance of faith that we need to realise there's a beautiful gift of singleness that maybe we're missing out on in our churches. We want to recapture as a gift for the people who are single and for those around us, however long that is your gift. So, as we finish, I want to talk a little more about how singleness is both a gift and it's also a prophetic sign. So firstly, the gift of singleness. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, some have this gift and some have that. And he's talking about singleness and marriage. Um, he says, but as far as, it, as far as it concerns me, I say to those who are unmarried and widowed, they should stay single as I am. Have we never received that wisdom in church before? Maybe not. But anyway, just as every marriage is totally unique, every expression of singleness is totally unique as well. 
So me and my brother, we're both single. And our exp expressions of singleness, the gift of it in our own lives, is going to look very different. Um, our granny passed away last year. And um, her experience of singleness, having lost her husband later in life, and having to move, having to enter singleness while also grieving, is very different to my experience of never having been married. But the 10 years we kind of crossed over exploring this together, we had that in common, that shared kind of gift that we could explore and grapple with together. Now, I had a very specific moment of feeling God call me into a sort of life of exploring singleness. Others may always have had an immense desire to be married. My best friend Georgie and I, every, um, every week we will pray on the phone for half an hour and we are praying for her future husband. But a few, we haven't met him yet, we don't know who he is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but a few years ago I really felt a sort of caution from the Holy Spirit for praying that for me. And he said, no, actually Becca, we're going to pray for, I want you to pray for your companionship needs. Okay, Jesus, we obey you. So we pray for her future husband, pray for my companionship needs. It's also for each one of us, we are led by the Holy Spirit and yet wanting to embrace what the Lord has called us to for this moment now. So we can't lump all single people together. That's so important. Whether you've had an experience of singleness before or whether you're currently single now, you can't necessarily know what the other person's experiencing. And that also might change over time. But wherever we are, whatever singleness looks like, Jesus offers it to us as a precious gift. But singleness is also a sign. For most people around us, you and I, our lives are the only Bible that they might read. But Jesus, the word made flesh, lives within us. And so together as the beautiful, I love how diverse and rich this church is here. It's just such a joy to be with you. But we're diverse in so many different ways. And singleness can be one of those as well. So if you're married, I want to say that your marriage is not just for you. We need you to be the most holy, welcoming, yes, honest as well, married um, expression of, of faith, whether you yourself are the only one in that marriage who, who, who knows Jesus or whether it's both of you together. Something of the way that you approach that marriage and this, that maybe the, the journey of that, I believe is to be a prophetic witness to what is to come, um, the, the marriage that we're all to enter into. But what is the prophetic sign of singleness? Singleness, where marriage is what is to come, singleness is to be a sign of what the church is now. Are we going to wait for Jesus? Or are we as the church going to marry ourselves off to other loves, unite ourselves with other gods, other, other things? Or as single people, can we, can we share and be an example of, a, of a, a bride who is waiting for Jesus, waiting to be wedded to Christ. Singleness is a witness of the enoughness of Jesus. When the world would say, you are not enough, you are half a person, <laughs> Jesus would say, you are whole and I love you. And also, don't our children and youth need an example of someone living out um, a life without sex <laughs> and see that it is possible to live holy for Jesus. I am a 32-year-old virgin, okay? That is so weird to the world. It is offensive. It is harmful. Surely it's very intriguing. But then again, 
another 30-year-old virgin rocked up in Galilee 2,000 years ago, and people saw him as very strange and offensive and harmful as well. So what is weird about you? You may think lots of things. Lots of things are weird about me. What distinguishes your marriage, your singleness, your widowhood, your caring for your partner with dementia, your single raising of children, where you are right now, your X marks the spot, what distinguishes you as a Christian as weird for Jesus? What is the scent, the perfume from your life to this world that is hungry for something more of the life of Jesus to come? One of these books, um, a couple of these books here, are these books called Cultivate um, from a community led by the Helsers who wrote Raise a Hallelujah and lots of other ones like that. Um, and they have this great quote that said, we are found by a father and we are formed in a family. We're found by a father and we are formed in a family. And I just love that because the only way that singleness and I believe marriage and I believe any sort of life of Jesus as we know. This Christian stuff is hard. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's true. We need one another to continue. I need you to be able to stay as a faithful witness, as a single woman, and you need me. Whoever you are, whatever you are, we need one another. <sighs> so much more to say. I've I'm asked Ted to print out a couple of copies here, and I'm sure he can grab some more. This is my... 10 top tips for being an amazing friend to a single person. But actually, this is actually a way that we can be good family to one another. Things like being proactive, things like being real with one another, things like thinking about the photos we post, things like thinking first before you matchmake someone, all that kind of thing. So if you want to grab one of these, I really think that hopefully you'll find it fun. You might not agree with everything, that's fine. I've gathered these from single friends, men and women, old and young, divorced, widowed, like same-sex attracted, um, you know, lots of different expressions of people faithfully trying to live for Jesus and how we can help one another. I will give those to you, but let me just read one more time that verse. Maybe you might want to close your eyes. Have a think about a treasure map and maybe an X marks the spot under your feet. Think about what that means for you right now. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Friends, I want to say to you, buy the field. Welcome your X marks the spot and dig with all your might right where you are. It will be a hard dig, but there are treats and joys buried in the soil and the truest treasure of all, Jesus Christ. And in a family of God committed to loving one another from the heart, I believe you will never dig alone. So let's pray. Lord, you know there's so much more to say on this. <laughs> You know, Lord Jesus, the gift of singleness because you have lived it for 2,000 years. And Jesus, I thank you that you are enough. 
And I just feel like actually as the Lord said to me, Becca, if you never get married, would I be enough? He actually wants to speak to each one of us, whatever our calling is for today. Will I be enough for you? Will you go on this journey of choosing to trust me? And of course, for me, it took over like a year to be able to say yes. He loves the journey as well as the yes. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Gosh, wasn't that wonderful? Should we just say thank you to Becca?